Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Capital Weekly Podcast. Today's episode was recorded live Thursday, May 26th at California Votes, a 2022 election preview, which was hosted by Capital Weekly. California Votes, a 2022 election preview, was presented as part of Capital Weekly's California Conference Series. Support for California Votes was provided by the Coalition for Safe Responsible Gaming, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations, Western States Petroleum Association, KP Public Affairs, Perry Communications, Capital Advocacy, and California Professional Firefighters. Today's episode will feature the second panel of the day, which looks at two competing sports betting initiatives which will be on your ballot this November. Panel is moderated by journalist Lara Court. She covers state politics and is co-author of the Politico California Playbook. She previously covered politics for the Sacramento Bee and is a native of Wichita, Kansas. And she actually uh, started her career early on at the Kansas City Star. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Lara. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. I should clarify, I only interned for the Kansas City Star. Still, there are probably people who care about that distinction. Uh, but anyways, super exciting to talk about sports betting today. This is a big deal. There's lots of money going into this uh, initiative fight. So I want to just give a basic rundown of the landscape here. This won't be new information for our panelists, but um, I think for our viewers, it's important to know. Uh, sports betting has been legal since 2018. We've got two ballot measures that could legalize it in California. So far, 30 33 other states in DC have done this. Um, so we're going to bring in some, uh, some panelists to talk about this. We've got Chris Grove, who is an industry expert. Um, and we also have Brandon Castillo, who is running the Yes No campaign. Um, yes, in support of the tribal in-person measure and uh, no on the uh, California Solutions for Homelessness measure. And we'll get into all the details of this. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Great. Um, Chris, I want to start with you first, since you're the industry expert here. We've got more than two dozen states that are already allowing sports betting. This has been a practice that's been going on for a long time in other places around the world. I mean, what's it going to mean for California to get into the gaming market? Uh, What does it mean to the gaming market for California to enter? That's a question that defies an easy answer. And I think the implications of authorization of sports betting are where people really start to splinter on this issue. It's not necessarily sports betting itself. It's all of the things that could potentially spring from the introduction of sports betting, new stakeholders into the state, uh, new forms of ways for Californians to interact with legal online gambling, and the stage or stages that those developments set. So with that, caveat out of the way, fundamentally what is on offer here is the ability to have a material, not a transformative, but a material expansion of regulated gambling in California from a revenue perspective. With that also comes the potential for a material expansion of the stakeholders that participate in regulated gambling in California. And also as mentioned, a material, perhaps the most transformative of, of the bunch, is the expansion of the ways that Californians can access regulated gambling versus how they can access it in the status quo. Retail only in the status quo versus the potential for expansion in, into online 
uh, under at least one of, of the measures that looks like it's going to make its way to the ballot in November. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, I mean, revenue, California represents billions of dollars in, in revenue in this space, right? Certainly from a retail perspective, California represents you know, arguably from a consumer perspective, the single largest source of gambling revenue in the United States from a market. Obviously, you're talking about one of the largest uh, in, in the world, certainly in the United States. From a sports betting perspective, uh, nothing would, would really change. Nothing would really deviate from that if you were to authorize an open competitive marketplace for sports betting in California that spanned both online and retail you would be authorizing what quickly become uh, the largest market for legal sports betting in the U.S. by virtue of population, if nothing else. And then certainly layer on top of that, uh, over-indexing on, on sports fandom, both professional and collegiate in California, and the propensity, which you've already mentioned, uh, for gambling and the relative GDP positioning of California versus other states. So would be by any measure the, the most productive market for, for legal sports betting in the U.S. Brandon, I want to kick it to you now. Um, obviously, tribes have had a lot of control over gaming for a long time in California. Can you tell people what sports betting is would look like under the measure that you're backing and, and how it would uh, affect the tribe? And, and just to be clear, because I know it can be confusing, um, our coalition supports in-person sports wagering at existing tribal casinos. Um, for 20 years, California voters have given tribes the right to operate casinos on their uh, ancestral lands. Um, we believe that tribes have done a, a responsible job of not only benefiting their tribes and their people through, through gaming, but also the state of California. Um, tribes generate 125,000 jobs for uh, tribal members and non-tribal members. They generate billions in, in wages and economic activity for California. We think the responsible approach to sports wagering in California is to start with the, what we're calling the retail approach, in-person sports wagering at proven tribal casinos that the voters have time and again given um, the rights to gaming. We are definitely concerned about the implications of online sports gaming, um, basically turning every cell phone, laptop, uh, tablet, and even video game consoles into a gambling device, um, we believe for a couple of reasons, there, there are just a lot of risk, underage gambling, problem gambling, but it also breaks the promise to tribes. California voters for two decades have said tribes um, can operate the exclusive rights to, to uh, in-person gambling. Uh, and this would have a, a great impact, a negative impact on tribes who the voters have been trusted with gaming because as I said, it becomes everybody's laptop, cell phone becomes a gaming device uh, and it undercuts uh, tribal exclusivity, tribal uh, self-reliance. Uh, so there, there are a lot of risks, we believe, with online gaming. That's why our coalition that is more than just tribes. It's, it's social justice advocates, public safety leaders, education advocates, and even homeless advocates who are supporting this incremental approach of in-person sports wagering. And we're strongly opposed to online sports wagering because of the great risks we think it poses for California. Um, the measure that you're backing also, so it legalizes in-person sports betting at tribal casinos, obviously, and also some racetracks. Can you talk about the rationale for including racetracks in there? Uh, racetracks offer, they also operate um, a form of sports wagering in, in horse racing, obviously. And so the decision was made um, to allow, uh, again, in person at existing racetracks that are highly regulated and overseen by the Gambling Control Committee, the Department of Justice. Uh, we thought it was consistent um, with that approach to allow in-person at just a handful of racetracks in California, again, that have a proven track record of offering in-person wagering. 
Gotcha. Um, Chris, how are other states doing this? I mean, how, how do the operations look between tribes in like Florida and the outside operators that come in? How is this like puzzle fitting together in other states? It's a separate puzzle in every state. So don't think of it as a bunch of pieces that make uh, a picture. Think of it as a lot of very small puzzles in their own separate boxes. There are a couple of models you can look to for better appreciating how tribal and commercial interests have intersected. But honestly, I, I'm hesitant to do that because it, it tends to back into a discussion of Indian country as homogenous and of tribal stakeholders as homogenous, and they are not. And even within California, they are clearly not. So when we look to other states like Michigan or Florida, I think it's important to not overgeneralize whether or not those models would be applicable to California or relevant to California. I think what they do provide, however, at least is an example of how in Michigan, commercial and tribal stakeholders can find a way that all sides appear comfortable with in terms of authorizing online gambling as a commercial activity. To the contrary, in Florida, you had a situation where you were not able to find that kind of consensus between commercial stakeholders and, and tribal stakeholders. So again, you can take a variety of read-throughs from those other situations. I guess what I would emphasize is not to look at, at any of those as templates for California. And I, I suppose another thing you could take away from it is that there is precedent both for that commercial tribal relationship to be productive and also precedent for that commercial tribal relationship to end at loggerheads and, and result in a situation that I don't think anyone is, is particularly happy with. Brandon, what do you think about that? Is there any potential for commercial tribal relationships in California when it comes to sports betting? Um, we're focused on the measure that's on the ballot. Unfortunately, California law, once a measure has qualified, it can't be changed. And so the tribes are in near unanimous opposition. I agree on gaming issues, it's not homogenous, but on this issue, it's near unanimous, the tribes are opposed for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, they are concerned about online gaming, not just sports wagering, but what that leads to. Um, the the DraftKings, FanDuel's operators have publicly, very publicly stated that their end goal is online gambling, online casinos. So slot machines on your phone, uh, 21 on your phone, uh, all, all sorts of gambling. And so that would clearly break the promise with California's uh, Indian tribes that the voters have said can operate class three gaming exclusively on their tribal land. So tribes are opposed um, very strongly to this measure because not only does it that, uh, break the promise, but the way the measure was drafted, it really cuts tribes out uh, for a number of reasons. Um, there are only a handful of operators. I think Chris, I don't want to speak for him, would probably agree when the market matures, you're not going to have 30, 40, 50 operators. You're going to have a couple of main brands. That's what's happening in other states. And so that cuts out the bat, even if they're, they're required to partner with the tribe, it cuts out the vast majority of California's uh, gaming tribes. Only a handful are going to have a partnership and the rest are left out and they're not going to be able to compete if you look at what's happened in other in other markets. Um, so so the, the tribes are very much opposed to it. This measure also would require tribes if they wanted to enter into the gaming market under the construct of this measure, they would have to give up their, their sovereign immune rights. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for the tribes. Tribes are sovereign governments. Uh, they have a, a relationship with the state as such. The gaming compacts are negotiated 
uh, you know, tribe to state, government to government, this measure would require them to give up that sovereignty. In fact, it specifically says they'd have to give up their sovereignty in order to participate, and then they would have to agree to state regulation and taxation, and that undercuts uh, the, the entire notion of tribal sovereignty. So that's that's what the, the tribes are really opposed. And and there are tribes that are legitimately concerned about what online gambling, online sports wagering means for the state of California, not just for tribes. And that's why I want to emphasize our coalition is tribal led, but we have the California NAACP, the California District Attorneys Association, groups that rarely agree on things are really concerned about what what opening up this landscape where literally every phone, tablet, and and you know, and even gaming consoles will become a gambling device. It's going to open up kids to online gambling. It's going to exacerbate problem gambling. We've seen this in other states. We've seen studies that just show the highly addictive nature of online gambling. It's far more addictive, uh, creates far more problems. And so our coalition is, is not just concerned about the impact on tribes, but on the impact on California as a whole, which, which are significant. We should well, mention there. Oh, I'm sorry. Laura, yeah, if you don't mind. And again, to be clear, in terms of where I sit on, on this one, we try our best to be objective to sit in the middle. Don't represent or have a financial stake or tie to or in any way uh, acting as a proxy for the, the folks who are supporting uh, the, the other measure. But I, I do think there are a couple of things that are worth pointing out in, in the interest of a fulsome discussion on the topic, right? The, the first is trying to balance the concept of the introduction of a new form of gambling in terms of the introduction of online gambling with the reality that Californians, anyone you know, across the US has now and has for the last couple of decades had ready access to offshore online gambling sites that not just facilitated uh, use by US customers, but have actively sought out and continued to seek out US customers. So I think there is, again, in, in the more nuanced version of this conversation, it can be hard to have nuanced conversations when you have opposing measures like this. I, I think it is a, a worthwhile topic for discussion of how much of this is, is actually new versus how much of this represents demand that is already pooling with illegal offshore operators. I don't think there's anyone who's debating that when you expand access to gambling, you do raise the threat of exacerbating the issues that Brandon is talking about, right? Full stop. It's a question of degree. And that is, I think, one of the questions that often gets lost in this conversation is how much of this is new? Because the new bit is where we really start to be able to assess the impact of those harms versus how much of this is already present in the status quo as a risk because of the ubiquity of, of illegal offshore online sports books, online casinos, et cetera, that Californians already have ready access to. But I, I think we can all agree that, uh, you know, authorizing it is going to lead to a huge explosion of gambling. Um, you know, just watch any sporting event. Uh, it's not even legal here yet in California, and they're spending tens of millions of dollars. I mean, every sporting event, you get a commercial on every break from DraftKings, FanDuel's, MGM, Caesar Sportsbook. You get in-game uh, you know, you, you've now got announcers talking about point spreads uh, and money lines uh, in the middle of the game. I, I have four kids. I have we all love sports. We watch you know, basketball, football, the NFL, NBA. And, and there is no question that it has already led to a huge ex expansion of people who are interested in, in gambling. Uh, and it will only get worse if it's actually authorized. So, yes, uh, we will agree there is an element of illegal gaming going on. 
but it's a whole new ball game once you make it legal and the advertising dollars start flowing even greater and everybody can access it from their cell phone. It is pretty hard to access online illegal offshore gaming right now. It's a pretty small niche of people who do it relative to the population of California. Once you blow the doors open on this thing and the advertising flows, it's, it's a whole different set of problems. Brandon, I want to ask about this because I think it's important context. And I know that the, the tribes aren't a homogenous group here, but there was some discussion last year about an, another online measure that a different group of tribes was backing. Now they've decided to push that down the road. I think they're looking at getting that done in 2024. Right. And obviously that, I mean, it's still online sports betting. Do you think that that measure would bring up the same kind of concerns about like access and exacerbating uh, gambling addiction problems. I mean, the idea that all tribes are unanimously opposed to online gambling just doesn't seem right because there are people backing right. a, a, a different online gambling measure. Yeah, Laura, that's, that's correct. So when I say the tribes are unanimous, it's in opposition to this measure. And tribes have various reasons for opposing. Some are opposed, as I mentioned, because uh, it would cut tribes out of the market, um, you know, th this particular measure. There are a handful of tribes that, um, that, that did their own, what we're calling you know, tribal online measure. The coalition I represent, which is dozens and dozens of tribes, um, is opposed at this time to online gambling. We're opposed to this measure specifically for all the reasons I've discussed, but they're opposed to this notion of online gambling, A, because they're concerned what this will do to their um, you know, their self-reliance and, and the, the progress they've made through in-person gambling, um, but also the, the, the concerns that I laid out for California. It's they, they see down the road that this is not about online sports gambling. This is about online gambling in general, turning phones into slot machines, turning phones into 21, um, you know, blackjack devices. So the coalition, I have to be very careful to distinguish between the other coalition who may want online sports wagering at a future election. The coalition that, that I represent thinks that the most responsible approach, at least this election cycle, is to do it in person and tribes that are highly regulated, that have a good track record of things like age verification. You know, when you go to a casino, there's somebody that can match your ID with your face and your stature. When you do it online, you know, I, I have four kids. I have, as I said, I have teenagers and we share DoorDash accounts. We share Amazon accounts. You know, I'd like to think that we're good parents, but I have no idea if my kid, my teenage sons or daughters are able to log into my online gaming account. So our tribal coalition is opposed to not just this specific measure, but at this time, the notion of online gambling. Does that change in the future? I don't know, but right now they're, they're pretty strong in their opposition to online gaming. But well, we let me offer a, a couple of things in response. First, Brendan, I will agree wholeheartedly. And again, it is one of these topics that is oversimplified, I think, to the disservice of the broader converse, conversation. The introduction of online gambling will be disruptive in any market, right? Even if it grows the overall market, which has been the experience of states to date, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, et cetera, it definitely does raise the potential of a reshuffling of market share within that overall market. And so the potential for new winners and new losers to emerge when you introduce online gambling is a real thing and is again something that is, is often glossed over because people want to resort to more extreme positions about it'll cannibalize or it'll you know, expand the market dramatically. So could not agree more that that disruption is a real thing and it's something that should be part of the conversation because anyone who tells you that there isn't the potential for new winners and losers to be created when you introduce a new medium for distribution of gambling into the regulated market, 
I think is either being disingenuous or, or hasn't thought the issue through enough. A couple of points that I'll diverge slightly from Brandon on age verification, identity verification. Again, California would have the benefit of not being wandering into terra incognita on these topics. As you rattled off at the top, uh, double digit numbers of states representing, I think over 50% of the US population at this point have authorized some form of online gambling. New Jersey has been doing online casinos since 2013, online sports betting since 2018. These are topics where the risk I think is far more known and far more definable than, than the open-ended question that, that Brandon asked suggests in terms of how easy these products are for underage consumers to access, uh, how tight identity verification is and the measures that are in place to mitigate those risks. So again, that's not to suggest a system that is watertight, no system is, right? We accept some level of risk when it comes to things like alcohol, cigarettes, et cetera. And we accept that those systems for age verification are also not watertight. But I think the point, again, that's worth getting across to voters is that there are other states who have deep pockets of experience with these topics. And so it is not as if California would be assembling the plane in mid-flight when it comes to rolling out regulated online gambling. A lot of reasonably deep foundations to draw from when it comes to answering some of these concerns, which are legitimate concerns, and also when it comes to regulating the right way. Um, I want to get a little bit more into the kind of politics side of this, and I appreciate the talk on, on the industry, and that's very important. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the, the kind of title that's with this DraftKings backed measure. They're calling it Californians for Solutions to Homelessness and Mental Health Support. And the rationale behind that is because this would put a 10% revenue tax on sports betting. It would establish this ongoing state homelessness fund. Advocates say this would establish the first ongoing uh, source of funding for homelessness problems, which we all know is a big issue this year. It's something voters really care about. And uh, the LAO does say it's not clear how much this would bring in, but it could reach the mid hundreds of millions of dollars annually. They're really pitching this to voters as something that's going to help solve this systemic problem in California. So um, I don't know who wants to take this question first. Maybe you both have really strong thoughts on it. I'm sure Brandon does. <laughs> Me, please. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be very, very diplomatic here. I'm sure you're not a fan of that framing, but you know, I'll, I'll just let you take it. I mean, this should tell you everything you need to know, right? In, in California, they're calling it the solutions to homelessness. In Florida, they called it education champions. In Colorado, they would legalize online gambling and said the money's gonna go to water infrastructure. Uh, so if you wanna talk to politics, um, our polling, our conversations with voters reinforces that the notion of online gambling is highly unpopular. Uh, and when you ask California voters, do you support legalizing online sports gambling? Two thirds of voters tell us, no, no way. Clearly, um, the people on the other side, the, the FanDuel's and DraftKings know that. They saw that in their own research. And so they wrapped this thing up in a nice little present that, that's labeled homelessness on the outside. But when you open that wrapping paper, you still got this lump of coal, which is online gambling in the box. Uh, and we're really confident that voters are gonna figure this out. We expect um, the, the corporate online gambling operators to spend hundreds of millions of dollars 
talking to voters saying this is going to solve our homelessness problem. This is solutions to homelessness. But voters figure these things out. Our campaign will have plenty of resources. The wording that voters read talks about legalizing online gambling. So we think it's very clear that the other side understands that online gambling is not popular at this time with California voters. So they're trying to dress it up. I could talk for, for more than more time than we have on this panel about whether or not it makes good policy sense to uh, support homelessness programs by authorizing gambling. Um, there are countless uh, studies that show that gambling actually leads to addiction, financial stress, and homelessness, and that homeless uh, the, the, the unhoused population actually has higher incidence of gambling addiction than the regular um, homeless population. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later, but it, it, you know, Lord, it should tell you everything you need to know that they didn't just go forward and say to the voters and have an honest conversation, hey, should we legalize online sports gambling and, in California or not? They're, they're, they're masquerading this thing as a homeless solution. And in fact, we have homeless advocates. We have a number of them who are opposed to it because they understand, uh, A, this is it's simply bad public policy to fund homelessness programs with something like online gambling. And it's also not going to really solve the problem. This will become this generation's lottery. Ask any school official you know, what they think about the lottery. The voters were sold that the lottery was gonna solve our education funding problems. And here we are decades later, and it's simply not the case. This is gonna become the, the issue with homelessness too, should voters approve it. They're gonna think the homelessness problem is solved when the revenues we're talking about are, are pretty inconsequential when you consider that California has a $90 billion budget surplus right now. Gotcha. Chris, anything to add to that? It's kind of politicky. I don't know if that's that's your game or not. No, it, it is decidedly not my game. So what I'll offer two observations. One, I, I think both sides are definitely engaging in strategic narratives around these ballots. So I don't know that it is necessarily uh, a dagger to the heart of the other initiative that they're framing it in a way that is likely to be attractive to voters. I think that's table stakes for putting forward any kind of uh, referendum. On the, the question of whether or not it will solve homelessness, one of unfortunately too many tragedies of our age, right? I live in Vegas. Uh, our, our problem is, is not dissimilar from the one that I see when I spend time in California and is not dissimilar from the one unfortunately I see when I spend time in other parts of the US. Solving homelessness with any uh, particular initiative, I, I think is of course, uh, far short of, of what's necessary uh, for solutions, far more systemic than that. What I'll offer you is our view on the money that's at stake here, right? That's the thing that, that we can speak to and speak to with a relatively high degree of confidence, given the performance of other states in the U.S. who have authorized sports betting under relatively similar conditions. So round numbers, our expectation is that a competitive market in California, so you have multiple operators contesting the market that comes with a reasonable tax rate that allows for reinvestment uh, into marketing product, et cetera, which the proposed tax rate does. You'd be looking at a market, again, round numbers worth about $3 billion a year in total GGR, total gross gaming revenue. And so at a 10% tax rate, you'd be talking, again, round numbers about a $300 million contribution to the tax base. That's direct contribution. I know others will make the argument about indirect. Uh, once you start to get into those questions, I think you also open up a number of other trapdoors around associated costs. And so we, we prefer to think of those things as, as a wash. And just to stick to the simple question of how large can the market be? 
What are you basing that on? And then what's the tax base from that likely to be? So again, round numbers, competitive market with retail and online in California with a reasonable tax rate when it gets to baseline maturity, three, four, five years out from launch, you're talking about roughly $3 billion market annual revenue, apply a 10% tax to that, and you get about a $300 million contribution to the budget. Sure. Laura, can I use Chris's own numbers to, to underscore our point? $3 billion market, 300 million for California. 90% of the revenues are gonna go to corporations that are based out of California, even out of the, out of the country. And so, the decision voters are going to have to make is, is that, is that gamble worth the risk? We're going to authorize online gambling. 90% of the money are going to go out of state or even out of country. And California is left with a paltry 10%, but we're left with all of the implications. Tribal sports wagering, all the money stays in California. Now, tribes takes a percent, but it also has great economic uh, multipliers because it's in person. People are traveling to casinos. They're spending money at surrounding hotels and restaurants and on the airlines and the, you know, on the gas stations. We think that the choice, um, I liked Chris's word about disruptor because I think it makes the choice really clear for voters. The choice for voters is, do you want on this ballot, do you wanna support continued in-person gambling at tribal casinos that the voters have supported for 20 years? Or do you wanna support this disruptor of online sports wagering where 90% of the profits are gonna go out of California and California is gonna be left with roughly 10% um, and I, we, we argue it's going to be less because there are loopholes that allow them to duck things um, like free play and, and their, their promotions, but I won't get into those details, but we think it's a stark choice. Continue proven in-person uh, sports waging for, for Indian casinos or corporate out-of-state money for online gambling. Pretty, pretty clear choice for us, we think, for the voters. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly where the 90-10 comes from, and I think it's it's good to at least raise that as, as a question before allowing it to just settle as, as an assumption. Uh, I think it's it's also worth noting that even in retail operations, the likelihood that the underlying technology, et cetera, would be owned and operated by the, the tribes is, is probably not entirely accurate. So you're going to have outflow to suppliers in, in any case. And all I can tell you is the idea of, of this going primarily to overseas companies. Uh, the leaders in, in these markets are obviously a mix of U.S. companies like DraftKings, and then companies that are a mix of international and U.S. stakeholders uh, like BetMGM, which is MGM and, and Entain. And certainly there are more than uh, a number of ways that uh, additional amounts of that revenue can flow back to, to California. So not necessarily, again, disagreeing with the underlying premise. What you have here is a market expansion. You have new stakeholders that will come in and they will reap significant chunks of that benefit, the assumption that it will come at the cost of California stakeholders or will confer no additional benefit to those stakeholders is, is one I think requires a little more testing uh, before we, we assume it as, again, the, the baseline for, for the conversation. Um, only other point I'll, I'll offer, when we talk about retail expansion, and Brandon, I think, correctly noted some of the economic benefits that come from that retail expansion, those don't occur in a vacuum there will be marketing for retail sports betting. So if we're again trying to apples to apples, the introduction of one versus the other, I don't think you can say that retail doesn't raise any of the harms, et cetera, the marketing push, et cetera, that is being claimed as a drawback of, of online. 
right? Because those products will also be aggressively promoted and aggressively marketed. So like many things, I think in the clash between Brendan and myself here, it's not about the premise so much as it is uh, about the degree of, of the impact that's being asserted. While we're talking numbers, Brandon, perhaps you could mention, I know there are some, some taxes involved with your ballot proposition, but if I understand correctly, only the racetracks would be taxed, right? I mean, that would be a significantly smaller amount of revenue coming to the state specifically. When you talk about the money staying in the state, you're talking about it staying with tribes, not necessarily going to a public fund. So can you talk about what uh, your, your ballot measure does in sure. terms of revenue back to the state? Sure, it's true when you talk about taxes because of the conversation we had earlier that tribes are sovereign governments, so they aren't taxed. Um, however, so, so the, the main revenue in terms of taxes will come from the, the racetracks, but tribes have um, compacts with the state and, and they call them revenue sharing agreements. Part of the money goes to a lot of money, significant part of money goes to non-gaming tribes, smaller tribes that don't, they're either in locations, they don't have casinos. So a significant portion of those revenue sharing agreements um, go to non-gaming non tribes, but there are direct revenue sharing agreements between tribes and the state uh, and local governments where tribes contribute. Uh, it's not a tax, but we call it revenue sharing uh, to, to local governments. In fact, um, annually, it's about 3.4, 3.5 billion that tribes contribute um, to all levels of government through these revenue sharing agreements. It's about a billion to state. It's several, it's about 400 million to local governments. As part of this process, tribes in order to get this new form of gambling, sports wagering in person, will have to amend their compacts. So they'll have to have those conversations with the state. There will be discussions about how those revenues are shared. So it's true, it's not called a tax. And that's why when you read the legislative analyst report, they won't mention anything about taxing tribes because that's that's illegal. Um, but they, there are pretty significant revenue sharing agreements that the tribes will share with other tribal governments, with state governments, with local governments. Great. Um, I just want to mention real quick for our viewers, we're, we're about 10 minutes from, from closing time here. And if you have any questions for the panelists, you can drop them in the Q&A. Um, I don't know if Tim or John has like questions we want to ask the viewer, uh, ask the panelists already. Maybe not. Uh, in which case, I guess we'll, we'll just keep talking about stuff. Um, I mean, is there anything that either of you feel the voters uh, need to know? I think, Brandon, you've made your pitch about uh, what what uh, the ballot measure would do in California. Um, I mean, is there a particular narrative or issue you feel like is getting swept under the rug in this conversation? I'm not making a pitch uh, per se, because again, I'm not affiliated with anyone who is sponsoring the, the other ballots. So there's a, a little bit of a, of a, a disconnect, right? Because I've, many of the things that Brandon says, I don't disagree with. Uh, I, again, it's more a matter of, of degree and, and intensity of, of impact as opposed to arguing the fundamental impact. I think I'll echo a couple of things that I've said earlier in terms of the size of the market, the, the relative productivity of the market, and also in terms of the appreciation of what the status quo functionally is. This is not in any state in the U.S. ever a question of before we didn't have online gambling and now we do. It's a question of before we had ubiquitous, widespread, readily available, illegal online gambling, and now there's the opportunity to have legal, regulated online gambling. And that, I think, is, is a part of the conversation that is often missed because the illegal market can be opaque, right? There is not necessarily a single vantage point from which you can see it. 
But certainly if you've listened to sports talk radio over the last 15 or 20 years of your life, you've heard plenty of sports books advertised. You've probably even seen commercials for online sports books. Uh, and you've certainly seen uh, marketing collateral in, in other parts of the States. So that's, I think, the, the takeaway that I would offer is this is not necessarily a choice between we've got none of it now and we'll have it if the referendum is approved. It's more of a choice between status quo, there is significant illegal online gambling occurring, not just in California, in, in every state. And the choice is between that status quo, not the absence of online gambling, but that status quo and the introduction of, of legal and regulated online gambling. Gotcha. Um, I'm gonna take a, a viewer question here. Um, it looks, so somebody's asking to explain what yes means and what no means on these ballot measures. I think we should be clear that these are two separate ballot measures. So you're gonna vote yes or no on both of them. If both of them, one of them has already qualified for the November ballot, the proponents of the other one, the DraftKing measures are pretty confident it's gonna qualify, but all the signatures haven't been counted yet. So, I mean, yes on the in-person tribal gaming measure would mean we legalize in-person tribal gaming. And yes on the, the DraftKing measures would mean, yes, we legalize online sports betting. Um, uh, you know, proponents of the DraftKings measure say that this would not conflict with the tribal in-person person measure. If they were both passed, could they act in, in tandem, they, they wouldn't rule each other out. Is that right, Brandon? That's that's not necessarily our position. And that's, I'm not a lawyer. The, the courts are gonna have to decide. They're gonna have to, if, should they both pass? And we don't think they will. Um, the courts will have to figure out, are they, you know, do they work in, in parallel or are they competing? Um, the DraftKings, FanDuel's folks have written language that says they, the two can operate together. Our coalition believes they cannot. We believe we've established policy that in-person only Sports wagering should be the law, um, but the courts are going to have to decide that out. We, we, we believe that they, you know, they could conflict um, because we've taken a hard stance that, you know, we think in-person is the right way to go, not online. So if both do happen to pass, the courts would have to basically figure out how that works. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, we got another question from the audience um, asking, will any funds go towards problem gambling treatment slash prevention services? Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the DraftKings measure does include some, no, it does not. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. Maybe Chris, you know if that's accurate or not. I can't say for this particular measure, not atypical for the final forms of authorization to include some sort of funding for problem gambling, uh, responsible gambling. Although again, uh, I won't pretend that that is something that other states have uh, over budgeted for. It, it is usually under budgeted. And, and that is something, you know, honestly, that California would have the opportunity to, to address and remedy. And Brandon, the in-person measure does the, the in-person measure. Definitely. It gives a big chunk to problem gambling as well as gambling enforcement um, for, to the department of justice. Gotcha. Great. Um, we got about five minutes left here. If anybody else has any questions, are there any other uh, attendants to this, this fight that you guys have uh, comments you want to make or any other questions or issues to open up while we've got a little bit more time here? I just think um, looking at some of the comments, people do get confused. We know that when, you know, the advertising starts uh, this summer, this fall, uh, voters are going to be highly confused. And, and, and that's why I keep reinforcing. We think the choice is pretty simple for voters. Um, on the one hand, do you support in-person sports wagering at tribal casinos? On the other hand, do you support online 
sports gambling um, online. So the, the difference is pretty pretty stark. In person at tribal casinos or online, there are two measures, as you said. Uh, voters are going to have a, a hard time sorting out all the advertisements it, as they always do. But at the end of the day, um, you know, are we know voters figure it out? Uh, they figure it out, and they figure out what these things do. They're going to be told by one camp that this is a homeless measure. Uh, we're pretty confident they're going to figure out it's an online sports gambling measure. Uh, and when they do, we're we're pretty confident it's going to be defeated. Chris, do you have a crystal ball over there? Can you tell us how this is all going to work out? All I can offer is the fact that we've seen authorization across a number of states and we've seen significant consumer participation in states that do authorize. So if you asked me generically, does a, a given voter likely have either the propensity to be neutral to agreeable on the question of authorizing online sports betting? The experience of other states suggests that, that they do. This has not been an issue that has been uh, especially controversial where we've seen uh, any kind of real pushback for the authorization of these measures. And again, they've moved more rapidly across the U.S. than any other form of gambling expansion that, that I can recall in, in my lifetime. So on, on the question of whether or not this is a product that consumers want, generically, the answer is yes. On the question of whether or not this is a proposition that will appeal specifically to voters in California, that I think is is one where the, the crystal ball is quite a bit foggier. Fair enough. Uh, we have another question here. Somebody, an anonymous attendee is asking, have there been any instances of underage individuals placing bets, either officially or through a parent? Either of you want to take that? Yes, yes, right. Have there been instances of people asking someone to go into the liquor store for them and buy a six pack? Again, Sometimes the high contrast nature of these discussions results in this all or nothing answer to these questions. And somehow the acknowledgement that no system is airtight and that no system is perfect uh, is used as, as sort of a, a cudgel against the authorization of a system. The reality is we accept this kind of risk all the time, every day across so many products. The question is, have we seen a material amount of these incidents? Have they risen to the level where they have created concern for regulators, liability for operators, or any kind of larger pushback uh, from these products being authorized? The answer to that question is no, to the best of my knowledge. And again, we're not working with a short track record on, on these things. So for voters who are interested in digging deeper into those topics, you can look primarily to the experience of states like New Jersey, where you've got about a decade in terms of the track record there. And I think that's a good starting point for investigating the degree of these issues. So it, it, it's my hope, maybe it's a little bit naive and overly optimistic. It's my hope that the admission that sometimes problems happen is not interpreted as a reason to not do a thing. Again, we accept that risk all the time. Looking to New Jersey and Pennsylvania's foundations for appreciating the actual degree, the magnitude of that risk, I think is the appropriate frame for appreciating the likely risk in California. And I think both those states, regulators in those states would describe the incidents, the expression of that risk to date as the minimus. And we would just say these companies have been fined in multiple states for not only accepting minors gambling, but marketing to minors. 
There was a really popular uh, case over the summer where uh, a kid in Connecticut posted that he won $500,000 on a parlay bet uh, on the NFC championship game and then quickly backtracked because he was, uh, he was a teenager. He was far under 18. And then, uh, you know, it ended up, he was, he, it was his father's account. Um, you know, the news story said he was gambling on it using his dad, dad's account. I, 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 I take a little bit exception with Chris's point that we're going to compare this to kids going to liquor stores and, and getting somebody to buy them. We're turning every phone and tablet and laptop into a potential gambling machine, tens of millions of devices. It's a lot different going in person to a liquor store than it is having your phone uh, that's so easy to access and, and kids are really smart online. I, so I just take a little bit of exception that it's, you know, it's an acceptable risk. It's a huge risk uh, that's going to be pretty ubiquitous across California when you turn every phone into a potentially gambling device. Yeah, the, the phones are already that, right? I think that's the, the area where I'll take exception is, is actually stronger. Again, I don't fundamentally disagree with Brandon about a lot of these things. If the risk were that ubiquitous, pervasive, et cetera, I think we'd have far more compelling evidence from existing states uh, versus a handful of anecdotes that are are shocking in isolation, but again, do not necessarily prove systemic or endemic risk. And, and against that backdrop, on the other side of that scale, we've got, again, multi-year experience with states that are operating in heavily regulated environments with significant oversight. And I'm not aware of a data set from those markets that supports the assessment that this would be widespread ubiquitous risk. The sky, to put it more succinctly, is still hovering over New Jersey and Pennsylvania, Michigan, et cetera. It has not fallen. All right, I think we gotta wrap it up now. We can continue this lively discussion at another date. Um, thank, it. thank you everybody for watching. Uh, Chris Grove, thank you. Brandon Castillo, thank you. Tim, is there any uh, outro you wanna do for us? Sure. So, Laura, thank you so much for moderating this. And thanks to both of our panelists. I should make a clarification. I, I did get a question during the uh, discussion. We did ask uh, the folks who were putting the uh, Solutions for Homelessness uh, proposition to participate. They declined. And so Chris is an acknowledged expert in this field. And we asked him and he was kind enough to step in sort of on their behalf. So there was a question from the audience about that. And we did reach out to them. They did say that they preferred not to participate in this case. So I uh, wanted to offer clarification there. And thank you all for, for watching this. We will make this available as both a video and The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.